Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bucks conclude their mandatory minicamp today. We'll get into all of that news from day two. But this came across the uh, NFL wire. Actually, ESPN's Adam Schefter According to my sources, free agent quarterback Carson Wentz has been spending time in Tampa Bay throwing. First of all, I stopped right there and had a little lump in my throat because <laughs> it's the first thing I saw from Adam Schefter was spending time in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm in Tampa Bay. Quarterback, Tampa Bay. But no, throwing and studying film with former NFL head coach John Gruden. According, according to me, Wentz wants thinks it can, intends to play this season, is waiting for the right situation before signing. You know what the right situation for Carson Wentz is? Wait a minute. Anybody who will give him a contract. <laughs> Are you telling me that Tampa Bay is firing Todd Bowles and Baker Mayfield and bringing in Carson Wentz and John Gruden? I didn't say I didn't say they were getting rid of Baker Mayfield. Uh, or, or perhaps even, I mean, I, it's just Carson Wentz in Tampa Bay. So I retweeted this, and I went, interesting. And about four people went, nope, uh-uh, can't do it. I'm like, not for Tampa. He's just working out here. Like the alarm bells. He must have like a, a Wentz alert or something. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it's one, of the, it's one of the more amazing collapses in, my, in, in my, my time covering the NFL. Seriously, I mean this. Carson Wentz, do you remember the year they went to the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles? Mm-hmm. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate. If yes. not, he may have won it. I don't even remember. But um, he had like 33 touchdowns. And it wasn't until right before the Super Bowl he went diving into the end zone and ripped his knee up. And so he couldn't play in, in uh, either the end of the playoffs or the Super Bowl. And, of course, Nick Foles got the nod. And then they had the you know Philly special, and they, they beat Tom Brady. And, and, I mean, it was, you know, it was a freaking great year. And the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And I thought, man, it was kind of sad that Wentz didn't get to finish the deal, but boy, their future is so bright and they signed him to an enormous contract. Um, as you would, as you would expect. I mean, the guy all but led them to a Super Bowl. He signed a four year, $128 million extension going into the 2019 season. And that had $107 million in guarantees, but then they eventually, you know, doesn't work out there. They trade him to the Colts. And then the Colts give up a first and a third rounder for him. Um, that lasted all of a year. And then he went to, last year he went to the Commanders. And they wound up releasing the guy. I mean, I mean, you never bet with the kind of start to his career that he would become really him, him you know, working out with John Gruden in Tampa. I mean, that, that's where he's at. It, it is, it's remarkable. Like you said, it wasn't like he was just a, uh, a high pick, and everyone assumed he was going to do great. He was going to be the MVP that season. Yeah, and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, like, I think he got hurt with a couple games to go or two games, something like that, if I recall. Yeah, that sounds right, yeah. But, I mean, you're talking MVP, not 
not really good or whatever. I mean, MVP. A league MVP, that's correct. You know, and, and mm-hmm. it, it's not quite the same with Foles and that, but almost Brady to Bledsoe. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you had mm-hmm. you signed a huge contract for Bledsoe. He was going to be your starter. He gets hurt. Brady comes in, and you never give yeah. it back to Bledsoe, even though Bledsoe even played in the playoffs and helped win a game because Brady got hurt. And it wasn't, you know, it's not like we know the rest of Nick Foles' career. Mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of a an aberration what he did in the Super Bowl in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like that was good job by him, but he also got chances to be a starter after that and never really made it. You know, and he's he's still kind of kicking around out there. So it, it but but Wentz went through the you know the the balance of the entire season and and like you said was was one of the best players in the league, and then for him to go to that to just kind of off the cliff. It's interesting. So I wonder, what, I wonder what John is doing with him. John, John is now doing a lot of consulting. He's doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, he's in New Orleans. Remember, he was working with Derek Carr, I think, last week or mm-hmm. a week or two ago. Yep. Um, and uh, because he's in this, he's got this lawsuit with the NFL. I think that's still pending from his termination there in uh, in Oakland in his second stint. Vegas, but uh, or Vegas. I said Oakland again. <laughs> They will always be. You've been doing watching, that for ever since they moved. <laughs> oh, I have. But I'm I'm watching. Uh, I did it when they moved to L.A. and back to Oakland. <laughs> this is not their first move. You know that, right? That is correct. <laughs> okay, just checking. Um, in fact, I did an I did a Raiders game at the old uh, L.A. Coliseum once, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the team. Wait, talk about dating yourself. Uh, that was a team that. Who was the coach then? It was pretty wacky. Oh, it was White, Mikey White. It was Sam White, and so they go out there and they're 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 big underdogs. Gosh, I want to say Howie Long might have still been playing, but they're big underdogs, and they had this guy named Curtis Buckley. Curtis Buckley was a defensive back, but he's kind of nuts. He was basically a kamikaze um, kickoff guy. He'd run down there and just mm-hmm. level people, little guy. But before every kickoff, he would do a backflip. Picture this, right? The, guy, the kicker's lining up, mm-hmm. and he's lined up, and he does a backflip. So a little bit of relish on him. And uh, so Kurt, Curtis goes down there and tries to make a tackle or whatever to start the game. Uh, and then Sam puts him in on defense. And on the first play, and this was sort of talk about, it's not bounty gate, but boy, it was close. On the first play, they have him knife in from a safety position and just take one of the most illegal hits you've ever seen. Just just absolutely destroyed somebody. Um, and and it was supposed to send a message, and it did. It, it was like hitting a, a hornet's nest. And the L.A. fans were booing and all that. Hubert Mizell, our, our ex, uh, our late columnist at the, uh, at, at the at then St. Petersburg Times, <laughs> this is the other thing he wrote. So it was the LA Coliseum. We're in an open air press box, and there's the smell of weed. Okay, all through it. I mean, it's like, you know, Snoop Dogg and his neighbors are there. Okay, and so we're we're watching the game, and Hubert goes, ah, well, "What's that smell?" <laughs> it's like Hubert, it's weed, man. It's like marijuana, and he literally wrote in his column about it and said. One of my younger, wilder colleagues instantly recognized the smell of marijuana. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. My mom's reading this, you know? What do you mean one of your younger, wilder colleagues? I'm a wilder colleague now? 
but wilder than him. Yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, it is I a relative term. I know, but wild. I mean, I'm wild because I know the smell. It wasn't like I was using it. I'm not sitting there with a blunt in the press box. Let's be honest. Somehow, I tell you what, man, we got a long way from Wentz just now. You know what I mean? We talk about the Raiders, Sam White. Um, but yeah, Carson Wentz looking for a home, and apparently. For right now, it's Tampa and John's house or something. I don't know. Might see him up at the uh, up at Sacred Pecker where John likes to go and have a drink now and then. So, you know, go up there and talk to talk to Carson, do a story. All right. So the Bucks um, had their mini camp, and they got one more day of it. And I'm hoping, against hope, that perhaps Todd Bowles did not take a page out of the Buffalo Bills. Ah, no one circles the wagons or quit one day early from mini camp like the Buffalo Bills. Bills just dismissed them. They had one more day left. They're like, eh, we're good. Uh, that's not going to be Todd Bowles. In fact, I even asked him, I go, hey, get your plans for tomorrow. Like, you're going to. I think they'll knock it off kind of early. You know, the practice has been going about an hour and a half, hour, hour 45. I would think maybe it'll be done, maybe in an hour. But uh, uh, we had a chance to talk to Levante David. And uh, we haven't seen, you know, the captain since he re signed. A one-year deal is like his third contract. 33 years old, and he is now, because Will Golston has departed for the time being, he, he is legit the oldest player on the team. And that did not strike him very well. But um, this, you know, he just signed his third contract, albeit for one season. And the thing about Levante that I love is that, you know, he doesn't assume anything like, he comes in and works and, and, and he says, I treat every, you know, every year like I got to make the team like I'm a rookie again. But this year it's been different because of all the stuff going on with Devin White. And what I wrote about in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com is like, those two guys really need each other. You know, like they re-signed Levante David and it was, it was a, I thought it was an important signing. He, he took a bit of a pay cut, but he is sort of the great eraser for any mistakes that Devin makes. And Devin... While Levante is, you know, I mean, he's 33 and probably not as fast. And, you know, although he's very fast, but you've got the more athletic in your prime 25 year old star in the making that's already won a Super Bowl and been to a Pro Bowl. Uh, and you've got this sort of sage, um, you know, true professional back there that's been through everything to kind of balance them out. And, so when all this went down, you know, sort of with uh, Devin White, I, I was curious, you know, what Levante's take would be because he's been through contracts. I mean, what hasn't he been through? He's seen everything here. And um, he said that he felt like for Devin that he said his emotions got the best of him. He goes, I know he wants to be here. He wants to play here, which is the first sort of, non-first person acknowledgement that yes he does want to play here and he said that um he's ready to work he's not ready to go right now but he's getting himself ready for training camp uh and he admitted that that during the process at some point um even though he had asked to be traded that Levante said he called him and he said you know I talked to I've talked to him throughout the whole process um I knew he was he's ready to get back out there and help us win and play football um, and he just told him, he said, I told him, you know, don't let your emotions get the best of you. Like sometimes that can backfire and it can be used against you. And everybody knows you're not that type of person. You're very passionate, but you're not a very emotional person. And so show your passion, 
show that you love the game, you want to be here for the city of Tampa, for the organization of Tampa, and that you love playing football with your teammates. And he's like, you know, he's a leader, and guys look up to him. I mean, he came into the league, and heck, he was, you know, helped him to a Super Bowl right away. Um, and so, you know, he he just he just told him he's been through this. You know, it is it is a business thing, and sometimes you may feel disrespected, but you can't you can't let that get to you. You know, like any negotiation, if there's a disagreement on value, you're going to take it personally. And he goes, you know, you really just got to go out there and play. And everything else kind of takes care of itself. But, um, I, you know, the counsel that a guy like Devin White can give, or I'm sorry, that Levante David can give Devin White is invaluable. I mean, it's something that, frankly, White's lucky he has. He's lucky that 54 is around um, because he has been through it all. And the other thing that Levante had to do was endure – you know, 10 years in the NFL with no playoffs, you know, like, so his appreciation for winning is so much different than Devin's. I mean, Devin comes in here and, you know, after, a year after his rookie year or whatever, he wins the Super Bowl and he's going to Pro Bowls and like, you know, three years in a row, they make the playoffs and two division titles and all those things with Tom Brady. That's not Levante's experience. Levante's experience was I didn't get to win anything. You know, I, didn't, I had two winning seasons my whole career until Brady got here. So he has a different perspective altogether, and I think that perspective can kind of help Devin sort of navigate, um, you know, this time where where obviously he doesn't hasn't gotten what he wanted, um, but he's got to find a way to channel it and just go out there and, and kind of play. But it's great; it's always great to talk to him because he just he has such calm about him and um, can can sort of articulate, you know, what's going on because because he's been a mentor uh, as you would expect mm-hmm. to, to Devin White and. I'm sure he's been a mentor to others on the team, too. And that's one of the biggest reasons why it was important for the Bucs to re-sign Levante this year. And I think that's exactly right. And I think when when you think about their stars that they've got coming up that they want to maintain, a guy like Devin White, the first thing you think is, we got to have Levante back. Because in addition to being a good player, he just balances him out. You know, he's Mm -hmm. just... He's able to erase, uh, seriously, like Devin, the mistakes Devin makes are usually um, over-aggressiveness or guessing or, you know, I'm going to shoot the gap here. And and when it doesn't work, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, somebody has to be fast enough to cover it, to cover his, his hole, his gap. And that's what Levante has done so well. And Levante is still a good player in his own right. Hell, he's only, I looked this up, like I might be a little off here, but... <laughs> He had, you know, Devin led the team in tackles last year with like 124. I think, I think Levante was right behind him, 120 something. Um, but for his career, Derek Brooks had like 1,700 and something tackles, and Levante's got like 13, almost 1,400 tackles. I mean, if he played two more seasons, he could catch Derek Brooks. I don't know that he's going to, by the way, but I'm just saying that's the sort of company. Uh, yeah. Absolute. He's at 1,346 uh, right now. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and Derek had like 1,700 and something. So, I mean, he's absolute, you know, ring of honor guy. But but really even beyond that, had he played for a bunch of teams that went to a Super Bowl or won championships or, you know, were in the playoffs a lot, people might think of him as a Hall of Famer. They might really do that because he got, he got really kind of left off too many Pro Bowl ballots. Um, they had this thing where 
you know, outside linebackers that were really defensive ends and were just rushing the passer every down were in the same category as Devin at linebacker. And so he couldn't get around those guys that had 10 and 12 sacks. Um, but yeah, it's a terrific player. And I, and like I said, I think that, I think that Devin's lucky that Levante's still here and, and, and vice versa. I think they're, they're a good team together and we'll just have to see, um, how that, how that works itself out. Some more buck stuff on the way, as well as a couple of your mailbag questions that we'll get to in just a minute. But first I want to tell you how to save money on your electric bill. You know it, you love it, you can't live without it. It's May Electric Solar. We've been talking about these guys. They're a family-owned business. They've been operating and installing solar electric systems in the area for 13 years. A lot of these companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. And with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the made difference. If you visit the Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products and they conduct on-site testing. Uh, you can see exactly what they're going to install and they will customize it to your needs. And they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower electric bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Speaking of Levante David, I, I just threw it out there to him. He was talking about being the old guy. I said, well, um, don't know if you're aware of this, and he was all too aware that the last player on this current roster, this active roster, to have worn or the only player, not the last player, the only player to have won the creamsicles, which they're going to bring back out this year against Detroit, is Levante David. And he said that uh, uh, he liked him, but he so they put him on for their photo shoot over the weekend, and we weren't allowed to see those. But uh, he goes, they're not the ones that I wore. He goes, they're a little different. We're like, really? Like, how different? He goes, I can't get into that. You'll have to wait. So I'm curious to see um, what they've done with, with the actual if it's more orange, more cream signal, like what what is he talking about? But maybe it's the orange um, pants. Yeah, that's that white story again, right? <laughs> We're all, all orange. We're not wearing this, Sam. Okay, you guys can wear whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Okay, uh, the the quarterback thing, which we talk about every day, it seems. Let, let me just let me back up a minute. So it's very dangerous sometimes to try to draw conclusions. Um, during any practice. That's what I've learned over my few seasons of covering the NFL. Because often, um, this time of year, you know, practices are scripted and, you know, you're going you're gonna to work on situational stuff. We're working on third and two or we're working on second and ten or whatever. And the defense has kind of seen these plays a little bit. Well, the good thing about this year is, is that they have a new offense, so even Todd Bowles and his defense has to honor that and it's not something that they've been seeing every day in practice um but moreover i like the way they're doing it we talked about this the other night how um the offense is having to react they're having to in real time spit out the play uh they had had some blitz periods yesterday Uh, the quarterbacks are having to move protection and react to what they're seeing as opposed to hey we're running this play you know that's scripted and and you know and here we come um and so that, that's been good. But, man, as, 
as God is my witness, that was one of the worst practices I've seen offensively. I mean, did they do some things well? Yeah, I mean, you never go through a whole practice without making a play. But for the most part, if the defense had caught half the balls that they had in their hands, there might have been about eight interceptions. Um, and that's that's a problem, by the way, with the defense, is they drop way too many passes, and, they, and they're in position to make them. And that's been an issue. But I don't care. You know, Trask was getting the first team reps primarily because it was the second day of uh, mini camp, and they were going back and forth. And, and, then, and then, obviously, Bayfield came in, and then, you know, they, they just went that way. But it, it was hard to make a first down. Like, it was hard to complete a ball. And the so they get to the end, and they're doing some uh, – I don't – they'd already done their red zone stuff. I'm not exactly where they were on the field, but the last play of the, of the practice is a horrible snap that gets right by the quarterback – uh, either over his head or he roll. I can't remember what it was, but um, it's nowhere near the quarterback, and, they, and the, the ball just goes flying, and then Bowles blows the whistle, and that's the end of practice. And all I could think of, when a coach does that, they're about to get their butts chewed. Because <laughs> it's usually they, they they bring them up, and then they say, okay, we can't have this. Let's do it right. We're going to stay out here until we get it right, and you, you resume practice. This time it was just like, nah, we're done. I asked Todd about it afterwards. He was like, well, no. We had actually kind of stayed a little later than we planned. Okay. Um, Wait, but is he going to use but, one of his two times a year that he gets upset in mandatory minicamp? Well, he used it in training camp was his first one last year, and I caught him with it, and I, and I asked him, and he said, yeah, I used it because I watched it. I don't think you, this would qualify as the beast. Like he has, says he has the beast within, and he lets it out twice a year. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the beast, but then I wasn't in the huddle, so it's possible, and certainly he could have gone in the meeting rooms and done that, but – um, but I I just don't see many coaches calling guys they calling up the team after a horrendous snap and going yeah we're good here let's go break it down that just that's that that seemed a little like it's it's kind of like when when you're trying to do something and and like you know your dad or whatever just quits on you <laughs> just says oh forget it <laughs> you know walks away you're like no no I really want to help you um. And that was kind of what it felt like. It felt like, like, this is so bad. I don't even want to deal with this right now. I'm just going. I'm leaving. Um, so that that's what it felt like. But it's it's not as if, you know, the defense has plenty to work on too. But in this on this day at least, it definitely was a defensive day. And that's the thing about camp. And, you know, if one side's dominant, then you feel like, wow, it was a bad practice for the other side. But those are all your guys, right? So you, you, want, you want it to go back and forth. You kind of want – the defense to make some plays, the offense to make some plays, and kind of feel good about it. But um, defense definitely won the second day. So their final day is today. Um, when I get to this point, I always think of Gerald McCoy. You know, bringing the uh, bringing the uh, uh, shaved ice truck out. You know, uh, on the final day, and and um, them stopping early. I don't know if they'll they'll stop early or not. They were barbecuing ribs. This is difficult. So they had the Schrager grills out, but the ribs weren't for yesterday. They're for they're for today. So they were putting they put the ribs on the Schrager, I think, for like basing those things for like a day. They're gonna be really good. Not not that we're gonna have any, but I'm just saying. But that's it. That's a wrap. After this practice, um, Bucks players will be on vacation, coaches will go away. And the next time we come back, I think it'll be rookie orientation. They get a couple extra days before the vets come in. And the vets will come in some 
what, 14 days, I think, or so before their, season, their the preseason opener. So it'll probably be around June 28th or July 28th or so, somewhere in there. And uh, then we'll crank it all up again for the next 11 months. Um, but one more sleep before, uh, before I get to my last day of practice. So that's exciting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we got time for a mailbag question or two. Uh, throw it at me there, Steve. All right, we'll switch to baseball first for a little bit. We had these okay. left over from yesterday. Craig okay. in Vegas had tweeted, he says, the Rays bullpen can make a blowout, a loss, or a save opportunity very quickly. What we expect is a late run in the playoffs, probably in cold weather. Does that make Pete Fairbanks unavailable? Also, with Lau Hurt and playoff history, do we need another infield bat? Well, I'd be worried about Pete Fairbanks because he's had this thing for a while. And I'm not sure there's much of a cure. I mean, they've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, um, giving him hand warmers and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, you get to October and you're playing above the Mason-Dixon line, it could get damn cold. Well, so let's, let's hope for, if that happens, mm-hmm. L.A., Atlanta, not as cold. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you uh, go. What, Milwaukee's got a dome or a roof they can close. Those are National League teams, though. Well, so, so. well I'm saying if you got to the World Series in the American yeah, League. Yeah, you got to get out of the American League first. Yeah, but. I mean, okay, so Houston's okay. They've got a they've got a roof. That's okay. Houston will work. Don't New go York, to, uh, Toronto's don't okay. Don't go to New York. Toronto's okay. They got a Toronto's roof. Toronto's a dome. Boston is out of it, I think. I think. Um what would be in the central? Like that's the central. You know, I mean, Minnesota has an outdoor stadium. It could be chilly up there. They all do. I mean, Detroit, Cleveland, yeah, Kansas City. It's a bad division. Chicago, though. If you can't yeah. beat those guys in a Walmart parking yeah, lot, you should, if you need Pete Fairbanks lot. to win those games, then yeah, that's that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, you're losing to the Central after after winning 104 yeah. games. I mean, or, the West is pretty much Texas and Houston, so you're okay there. You're good there, yeah. Or Oakland, the way they're playing. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, as we're taping this, raised down again, three to one. Jeez, Billy Bean's going to come walking in. Brad Pitt's going to come walking in any minute now. You know, can't play, can't play Pena first. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I look, I'd be worried about them. I they're going to make a move, in my opinion. They're before this is all said and done, and and teams will have to realize they're out of it. You're going to see, I think, a, a another arm, a power. I would say probably a power arm down in the bullpen before this is all said and done. I don't know how that, what or what they would trade or who they would trade and all that. As far as the infield goes, I mean, have, not having Brandon Lau is tough. But really, I mean, I think it's just more time for Taylor Walls, uh, who's a plus-plus infielder. And if he can get, you know, went through a horrendous slump there for a while, but if he can get the bat going again just a little bit, you don't you lose the power. Um, I don't I don't know if they would try to trade for another power bat or a position player. Anything's possible. I would say this. The kind of year they're having, it's, it's so special and so rare that if they get to the area where they can add, this, you've got to go for it this year. 
Like you're just you're just not going to get off to the kind of start that these guys did and have as much depth through the lineup um, and be playing as well as they are. So uh, if they're going to spend money, if they're going to make deals, I think I think this is a year to go all in and say let's let's try to win this thing now. All right, Evan had uh, emailed us. He says, Rick, I listen to your podcast every day on the way to work and very much enjoy the show. You and mm-hmm. Steve do a much better job than anything that is currently on sports radio. Well, what, what, I'm sorry, what was that again? He says, uh, that you and part? Steve do a much better job than anything that is currently on sports radio. Nah, 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 nah. A little bit. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, my question, though, pertains to the home run hitting contest the night before the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. How are the players picked? You would think that the Rays leading the league in home runs, someone on the team would get consideration to participate. Now, before we answer that question, because we want to be 100% accurate, the Rays are no longer leading the majors in home runs. Ooh. The Dodgers and the Braves have passed them. Really? Mm -hmm. With less games, too. Wow. So, I mean, they're right there. They're, what, one behind, uh, I think, L.A. and two behind Atlanta, but... Mm-hmm. But they're leading the American League in home runs. Or no, actually, uh, yeah, they're leading the American League in home runs. So, well, that's a good thing. At least um, it, it, the interesting thing is that uh, who would you, if if there were one guy, there's not going to be more than one guy. But if there were mm-hmm. one guy on this team with all the home runs they've hit, who do you think would make the best? Not necessarily lead that they don't lead the they may not lead the the Rays right now, but who do you think would make the best home run derby player? Because that's a specialized thing, man. You got to have some stamina to go up there and do that. Well, I agree. So, are, are you picking it for who could win it or who's going to be the I'm best pick, for yeah, television? Who's the who's the who's the well? It's kind of the same thing. Rosarino would be runs. the best for television. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, with the poses, and yeah, the, yeah, the swing. Now, Jose Siri, yeah. though, he's tied with the Rosarina. He would be, he'd be flashy. Yeah, I mean, as as great as the Rays have been, home run. I mean, Randy Rosarina, Yandy Diaz, and Siri all have twelve home runs. That's tied yeah. for thirteenth in the American League. Hmm. I mean, Otani's all the way up at twenty. Aaron Judge is at nineteen. Right. Alvarez and Devers are at 17. Garcia and Luis Robert at 15. So, I mean, mm-hmm. as, as good as a start as the Rays got off to in home runs, they've cooled off a lot lately. Right. Well, I'm I'm of the belief, and I'm, I'm trying to look this up while we're talking about this, but uh, I'm, I'm, I believe my memory serves, and we, we want to be 100% right, that you're not required to be an all-star to be in the home run derby contest. I think that's correct. Although very frequently they are all-stars. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are. Um, but I think I think they've had players that did not make the all-star team that did compete in the derby. I think you're correct. And we should have probably looked this up beforehand. But I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm really trying. I, You know, you would think there'd be like the great Wikipedia page would say, hey, how do they pick? Um, but no, it's it just not as cut and dry as that. I I guess I'd have to look, uh, uh, let's see. How are they selected? Here we go. This is real time, uh, stuff. They're chosen by the captain for each squad. Typically, but not always, they're chosen from a roster from each team. 
Uh, they're invited and then some decline, leading the occasion participants that aren't true home run hitters. Often veterans are mo- most likely to decline. Uh, so it's generally younger stars than in the past. Years ago, it was automatic. The top five home run hitters from each roster were also selected or were auto selected, and uh, rarely was the honor declined except for injury. So it does say that uh, typically, but not always, they're chosen from the roster for each team. So there are definitely players that uh, uh, have have been mm-hmm. in this that have not made the All-Star team. It'll be interesting if guys like Judge and Otani decide to participate this year. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, that may depend on, you know, determine how many Rays could potentially be in the game, too. Yeah, it could. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'd love to see Judge in that thing. I'm sure he's done it before. Maybe maybe he hasn't. I can't, I can't recall. I think he turned it down before. You know, there's, there was a real thing with guys, and I, I do think it is the thing, is that if you're not careful, um, I think it can mess with your swing for the second half. Mm-hmm. Truly, you know, and the, the biggest the biggest asset in that home run derby deal is stamina. You know, it, I, and people don't think that you get tired swinging a thirty four ounce bat. You know, mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, you do, especially as many and they got a clock going, and you know, as hard as they're swinging, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you you can develop bad habits. You can. You also need a good pitcher. You got to have the perfect that's BP grooving pitcher. it in at the same spot every time. Yeah, and you can bring your own. Yep. You know, oh, which yeah, you is, pick which who you bring. Great. Yep. Yeah, you bring your own. So, you know, the, he, he's had a rapport with you, knows where to throw the ball. That's very important. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot to it. I think a Rosarena would be the best selection, you know. And I haven't watched batting practice to know, like, who hits the most in batting practice. Like, I wonder how many Josh Lowe hits. I could see him hitting a bunch in batting practice. Mm-hmm. That little uppercut swing of his. Um, but the, yeah, there's a lot of candidates on the race for sure. But I, yeah, I would agree with you. I think I think Randy for all the showmanship and and uh, how hard he swings and his ability to hit it out of all all fields, he he to me would be the one that would probably do the best. All right, Matt had uh, tweeted us. He says, "What's your take on the Jacksonville Jaguars proposing a new updated stadium? Rumor mill has them going to London for some time now." Also, does this put pressure on the Buccaneers to get a new stadium or do a major renovation at Raymond James? I don't think what Jacksonville does really puts any pressure. I mean, the Bucs are going to have uh, their own timetable and, and wants and desires of when to do that. Um, I think from what I've seen of Jacksonville, it's it's a pretty big re, re, it's not a rebuild, but a re, refurbish type of thing, remodel. Um, it's got some open airiness to it. Um, kind of an awning type roof, but not enclosed. Um, much like SoFi Stadium had a little bit of that look to it, which I think is great. Now it's much easier to have that in LA where it's not 95 degrees. Um, it sounds good to have breezeways, but sometimes in the summertime, as you know, there's not much breeze down here unless there's like a giant thunderstorm running by, which defeats the purpose. Uh, the, we talked about this a little while ago. Somebody asked a question that, about the the cover and and, and as far as Raymond James goes, like they have looked into doing an awning like thing the way they did in Miami with their stadium, and it's just not cost uh, very cost friendly. Like it's it's almost cost prohibitive. Um, yeah, I think Miami so, Stadium was more designed to hold that because it was mm-hmm. more uh, not circular but more enclosed all the way around. Exactly. Raymond so James is kinda, open at the ends. 
Yeah, completely. So I think that um, makes it harder. And and they look they did look at putting in panels. I mean they they recognized that for the balance of the season it's really uncomfortable for fans with the sunlight beating in and and then the occasional rainstorms as well. But um, they're just not going to do it. So new stadium. I mean the life uh, the life expectancy of these things are shorter all the time. We we saw the Georgia Dome torn down after after twenty years. The the Braves Stadium opened in ninety eight. So here we are. You know many, many years later, what is it, like almost 30 years later, really? I mean, five years, 25 well, years Well, 25 later. that they've been playing there. I mean, the stadium was yeah. built, what, in the late 80s, older right? older than that. Yeah, right. So 25 years, and they're, I mean, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Not putting words in the Glazer's mouth, but, uh, you know, and, and they could do it on the same land, much like they did when they tore down mm-hmm. uh, the uh, old sombrero, um, which is now the South parking lot. And then, so if you were going to build a new stadium, you would then build it where the old sombrero was in the, in the, uh, South parking lot. And then you tear down Raymond James and that would become a parking lot. Um, sort of what they did the last time, but haven't heard any, uh, squealing over there about that. I, I think it's coming sooner than later, but as for right now, um, they seem happy. They put a hundred and 60 70 million dollars into that ballpark about two or three years ago so uh they're going to keep it but for how long i don't know i mean i I think you'll see a new stadium for the bucks if they're going to stay here which i expect they would but for the next sometime in the next 10 years maybe i would think we'll start to hear about that all right robbie had uh emailed us and we'll end on this one tonight Mm -hmm. says now that we are many years past it what was the deal with josh freeman Given what we know about other players in the league, like Antonio Brown, what is the possibility in your mind of a CTE effect when it comes to Freeman's failure? Or is it the simplest answer, what we all assume, drugs and alcohol, indeed the right one? Um, well, first of all, I'm not going to say anything that would get me sued. <laughs> so if you're asking me to speculate on a guy's vices, I'm not going there. Uh, I, I would I would say this in the time that I, that I spent – with Josh and, and there, there was, it's been a number of years now. Um, in fact, Josh was only 30 years old and I think he had been out of the NFL for about five years. He was, he was trying out for the CFL, um, for the Argonauts as a matter of fact. And they were at Vero beach, um, at Dodger town, which, you know, picture this and the Dodgers had moved and, and Dodger town's still there. And so you have, you know, all these rooms, the Whitey Ford suite, you know, and all these things, uh, well, not Whitey Ford. He wasn't a Dodger. He was a Yankee. Um, Give me one. Roy Campanella. Uh, so I go over there, and they're practicing on the baseball fields, and he's one of four quarterbacks. And, and the CFL is a lot different in terms of, you know, players are in motion running towards the line of scrimmage, like get the ball out faster, all that stuff. And what what struck me was is that he was still a young man. He was still 30 years old. I mean, hell, he's probably all of like 35 now. But um, And he didn't – he didn't he, – he wound up – was on the team and he wound up quitting and I was trying to gauge from him like how committed he was to doing he's like oh no yeah for sure you know I want to do it and and it just didn't seem like it never felt to me like Josh loved football I think he was good at football he loved soccer like soccer was his deal he was, you know grew up in Kansas City and um would would play you know video games with soccer all the time FIFA world soccer whatever uh and so he loved soccer but he was really good at football, and he was good at a young age. And 
you know, Raheem Morris had him uh, when Raheem was the defensive coordinator at Kansas State. He was a 19-year-old freshman, true freshman, that was beating Texas at Texas. Like, the kid just had a good arm, uh, big smile, charismatic kid. But when he got to Tampa, there was an awful lot of pressure, as there is with any first-round pick. They tried not to put him in right away. That's when Byron Leftwich was quarterbacking and Josh Johnson. They finally got around to playing Josh Freeman. And and people may forget this, but, I mean, the dude in his second year went 10-6 and six, uh, and had 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. And me and Tom Jones were on the radio at that time, and, I, and it was one of the things we would hit Tom up with all the time is, like, one of Tom's takes were, I, I think they need to give him $100 million. I would give Josh Freeman $100 million. Um, well, they didn't, and it's a good thing because they they saved their money. Um, but when Josh came down here, he was really young, like real young. I think he was barely 21, 22 years old at, at most. Um, and before long, his sister came and his brother came. I think his sister was playing at UT. She got in a little bit of trouble. Um, don't know that the brother was a great influence. And like all young single men, you know, he was out on Howard Avenue and he'd run into Raheem Morris who was having dinner at 717 every night, you know, and then they'd sit down together and then the word went around that, oh, Raheem and Josh are out there drinking all the time. And it's like basically Raheem's having dinner. And what was he going to say if his quarterback sits down? Um, so there's a lot of that, you know, speculation about, you know, was it substance abuse? Was it this? That? I don't know any of that stuff. I, I, to me, when I would see him out and about, he'd go to some lightning games and things socially. He was like anybody else that age. Um, having a good time, you know, have a few beers or cocktails, I guess, I assume so. Um, but I just think that he came across the wrong coach at the wrong time. Uh, and he was kind of in some critical years, and Graciano showed up. And there are just some people uh, and some coaches that, you know, are are wrong for players. You know, it just, Josh was a guy that you needed to stroke more than, you know, hit with a stick, and Shiano didn't care. And what drove Shiano crazy was, early on, um, when he got here, Josh went into the substance abuse program. Now, he claims he was on Adderall uh, and had an exemption but took something besides that because, you know, something similar that he had run out of it or whatever, and he tested positive. And so the idea of Graciano having Josh Freeman, his quarterback, his franchise quarterback, uh, in the substance abuse program drove him crazy. He couldn't. He didn't trust him. Um, he knew was he knew he was getting tested all the time, and I just think it was a, like a you know a clash of personalities more than anything. And Josh went on, you know, to do remarkable things. Like he was, you know, in Indiana, I remember he was in Indianapolis for about a week or two and, and ended up winning a game for them. I think Chuck Pagano might have been the coach, and they finished eight and eight or something like that. Like he he was talented, wasn't the most accurate. I don't know how hard he worked at his craft, but again, it goes back. It goes back to does he love football? And and you can't play in the NFL if you don't love it. But you especially can't play quarterback because you got to spend the time. And I don't know that Josh spent the time um, learning his craft and being that leader and understanding, you know, 
what teams are trying to do. And, and did he have the best coaching? I don't know. Ryan Morris was a defensive coach. You know, I, I thought Greg Olson was good, but, you know, when they started out with Raheem, uh, they hired Jeff Jagosinski and fired him 10 days before the start of the regular season because he couldn't call, call plays. So, you know, again, your quarterback is a victim of all this dysfunction. And they didn't have depth on their team. And, and yet he went 10-6, and six, was 4-2, and two, and then the wheels came off, and that was sort of the end of it. But uh, there's no definitive aha it was this or that I think it was a lot of things you know I think the pressure of being responsible for his siblings at a young age um you know all of that he was into snakes he was into soccer (laughs) he was into a lot of things but I'm not sure that that football was one on his list and you cannot play that position unless it is all right well we got the bucks wrapping up mini camp and for that matter wrapping up at least the first part of 2023 and for me like the end of 2022 so we'll have some time off before they come back to training camp so we'll be checking them out and you can read about it on the Tampa Bay Times and tampabay.com uh the Rays they move on now to are they going to San Diego no I day game right? today against Oakland oh final day game okay mm-hmm. wrapping up that series yep and three o'clock speak, or three thirty I think three thirty first pitch as we speak they're losing again not the best of road trips here. You ran into a buzzsaw with the Oakland A's. Who knew? Um, they'll come back and win this game. But, yeah. And then, then it's on to San Diego because I know Christy Ackert's headed out there uh, in a couple days. So they'll continue their West Coast trip. So, yeah, we'll plenty to talk about tomorrow. Keep it right here. Your mailbag questions always welcome. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody. 